It's December 3rd, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local science and tech stories, then we'll hear about a number of interesting upcoming events. And joining us today is Monique Chiba from the University of Hawaii Department of Mathematics to tell us about an upcoming public lecture series called Reach for the Stars, and also Keith DeMello from the Office of Information Management and Technology is here to tell us about the upcoming Hawaii Digital Government Summit. Finally, during the main segment of our show, we've invited Keone Kali and Paola Sabine, also from the Office of Information Management and Technology, or OIMT, to tell us about the progress they're making with the state's IT transformation plan. We'd, of course, love your questions and comments as part of the conversation. Be ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. The University of Hawaii is part of a new project to upgrade the nation's cyber infrastructure with cloud-based computing. Jetstream, backed by a $6.6 million grant from the National Science Foundation, will be the foundation's first science and engineering research cloud. With Jetstream, researchers will be able to create virtual machines on a remote system that look and feel like their lab workstations or home machine, but will also be able to harness thousands of times the computing power. And the University of Hawaii uh, has a scientist that will help lead the project. Gwen Jacobs, UH Director of Cyber Infrastructure and Information Technology Services, will head the Jetstream Science Advisory Board. In that role, she'll help steer Jetstream strategies to aid researchers and educators in states that receive relatively little funding. Indeed, Jetstream will be a great resource for scientific communities that do not typically have access to high-performance computing systems, which project leaders say will include research in the area of biology, the social sciences, atmospheric science, and observational astronomy. For the University of Hawaii, Jetstream will support oceanography and genomics research. Other partners in the Jetstream project include universities uh, in Illinois, Indiana, Arizona, Texas, and Pennsylvania, as well as Cornell University. The National Science Foundation expects the system to be online in 2016. I got a chance to talk to uh, Dr. Gwen Jacobs, and Mm -hmm. uh, she was... uh, Quite happy about you know the attention that uh, this is this is getting and the high performance computing. I I told her I have a, a soft spot in my heart for uh, high high performance computing because I used to work at the Maui, uh, Maui right. supercomputer. But um, I, I I found this interesting because you know on the so the contrasting is the fact that we had the Maui super, supercomputer, but the Maui supercomputer really isn't part of this project. Right, right. And it's more about UH's high performance computing resources, which. They will be announcing very shortly a $2 million cray that they'll be putting into their new uh, IT. Oh, we'll building. watch for that. Now, D- uh, Dr. J- Jacobs comes to UH from, uh, I believe, the uh, uh, Montana State University. But earlier this year, we talked about uh, the Advanced Cyber Infrastructure Research and Education Facilitators Grant, a $5.3 million grant. So it's just great to see UH playing a part in a lot of these cyber infrastructure projects. Mm-hmm. And why not go into the cloud? Yes, Hawaiian Electric Industries announced today that it plans to combine with Florida-based NextEra Energy in a transaction valued at $4.3 billion. NextEra Energy is offering $3.5 billion in cash and stock, meanwhile taking on $1.7 billion in debt as part of the proposed deal. Hawaiian Electric Company will maintain its name and its headquarters here in Honolulu, and company officials say there will be no involuntary workforce reductions for at least two years after the close of this transaction. In addition, American Savings Bank will be spun off into an independently publicly traded company. HEI shareholders will receive the receive about thirty three point five dollars per share, representing about nineteen percent over premium from the latest closing price of twenty eight dollars. 
A merger approval application will be filed with the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission within the next 60 days. Although Hawaiian Electric will become one of three main businesses under the Nextera Energy umbrella, company officials note that the PUC will retain jurisdiction over the locally managed company, which includes Hawaiian Electric, uh, Maui Electric, and Hawaii Electric and Light on the Big Island. Nextera Energy has annual revenues of over $15 billion with over 13,000 employees in 26 states and Canada. Its other two main businesses are Florida Power and Light Company, which serves about 4.7 million customers and Next Era Energy Resources, which is the largest generator of renewable energy from wind and sun in North America. HEI President Corrine Lau said in a statement, In Next Next Era Energy, Hawaiian Electric is gaining a trusted partner that can help the company accelerate its plans to achieve the clean energy future we all want for Hawaii. We believe this transaction will benefit both our utility and bank customers, our employees, our community, our shareholders, and Hawaii. Well, you know, I think uh, this is something that was probably um, in in the making for a while and probably long overdue. You know, for our uh, marketplace, I think Hawaiian Electric uh, it does uh, you know as best a job they can in terms of improving infrastructure, but you know they had one point seven billion dollars in debt, and you know with that kind of debt, uh, you know, it's hard to invest in new infrastructure. So I think it almost uh, begs to have a bigger company come in and perhaps uh, offer more resources that perhaps could give us a better, better, you know, smart grid. Well, of course, NextEra is known for its sun and wind energy integration. They say that in Florida, in fact, I believe that Florida Utility is one of the frequent underwriters for national public radio. In any case, they, they say that they've achieved 20% more efficient systems in the last 13 or so years. Their bills in Florida for their customers are 25% lower than average. And if that's something that they can make happen with their resources here, I think uh, will be a good thing for our consumers. Yeah, so we'll keep a close eye on a that. A lot more on that. Yep. And now on the tech calendar today, uh, after the show, you're invited to join us at Agora in Kaka'ako for a Creative Commons meetup. Creative Commons offers an open licensing system that encourages artists and other creators to make their work available to others to use, adapt, and share. Billy Meinke, the community and resource developer for Creative Commons, recently moved to Honolulu. So come out to meet him and learn more about the state of the commons. And that's tonight at 6.30 over at Kaka'ako Agora. And that's located at 441 Cook Street. For next week, the folks over at Think Tech Hawaii have issued an invitation to the local tech community to a special celebration of their 15th anniversary. Think Tech United will feature speakers like Robbie Alm, president of the Collaborative Leaders Network. There will also be poo-poos, door prizes, and awards. The event runs from 5 to 7.30 p.m. on Thursday. Thursday, December 11th at the downtown Laniakea YWCA. Tickets are $30 or $20 for students. And for more information, you can go to thinktechhawaii.com. Also next week, a special event at UH to celebrate STEM education. We want to welcome Monique Chiba, professor and associate chair from the Department of Mathematics over at UH Mano to tell us about the public lecture series called Reach for the Stars. Welcome to the show, Monique. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Now, what is uh, the Department of Mathematics doing in this realm of astronomy? Oh, we are, uh, we're not stealing from each other. Okay. We are blending <laughs> expertise in order to be able to answer and understand more complicated questions. So I think it's a multidisciplinary effort, and I think it's very important 
for the future of research. Mm-hmm. So that's really the idea. The um, Institute for Astronomy will be there with us. The College of Engineering will be there with us. The Department of Physics will be there with us. All the geeks, it sounds like, are Absolutely. coming together. Yeah. So this event is uh, next week. It's called Reach for the Stars. So how are you living up to that theme? All right, so we're, we're going to have two guest speakers, uh, former astronaut Lauren Acton. He's actually a solar physicist. He's going to be there and talk about his experience. He flew on one of the Challenger missions in 1985. And then we have Jennifer Trosper from the NASA. She's the uh, deputy manager for the Curiosity Mars mission. Both are going to give a short presentation about their research and uh, uh, their work. Then I'm going to talk about some of the, uh, one project that we have with the Institute of Astronomy about designing missions uh, to go to asteroids. And then there'll be an hour of activities for the participants. You don't want just hear people. You want to do things. You want make science happen. Mm-hmm. So you have some <clears throat> actual exhibits that people can go and interact uh, personally Absolutely. with? Absolutely. We're going to have some robotics over there. We're going to have some VEX robots. We're going to have some humanoid that they're going to see. They're going to be able to experience a drone and navigate it. Uh, they're going to see an NXT Creations movie, but they're going to also do hand, hands-on activities like beating a sp- star compass. They're going to shoot rockets. Uh, they're going to do much more. It's for all ages, from five to adults. Mm-hmm. There'll be also telescopes. They're going to be able to see the skies, the Milky Way, and I hope the condition will be with us. Yeah, a little less clouds we can hope for on that day. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, of course, the event is aimed at, at in addition to a adults, um, younger students as well, and they're going to, there's exactly. going to be some being brought in to, to, to hear these pre- pre- presenters, but also have these hands-on activities, correct? Right. We are busing a lot of people from different schools, from different parts of the island. We are flying some students uh, to reward them for the good study from Molokai. So we're really trying to make it happen for everybody. Yeah, students from the Institute for Human uh, Human Services as well. Absolutely. Excellent. Yes. Now, you, uh, yeah. one of these speakers, uh, tra- Jennifer Trosper, she was in charge of the team that got to drive the Mars Curiosity rover. Yes, that's correct. So we watched that very closely. Yeah. She's going to be talking about that project? Exactly. That's what she's going to present on the Wednesday. She's going to explain the challenges and the excitement of a mission like sending a robot onto another planet. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a, a free event, so maybe tell us uh, where, when, and, and uh, how can people sign up for this? Right. It's going to happen uh, on the UH Manoa uh, campus, uh, at the campus center, right, uh, in the ballroom. So it's a free event. It starts at a, at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, doors open at, 5 thir- at 5.40, and then it mm-hmm. goes until like 8, 8.30. Um, parking is going to be available at UH uh, then uh, in order to find more information, you can go to the website superm.math.hawaii.edu. And we'll and definitely we'll put it up on a show. Notes. Now, um, very quickly, this yes. event is, of course, Reach for the Stars. You're bringing together all the geeks, but it's part of a larger STEM education in- initiative, correct? Right, absolutely. It is part of the Na- uh, National Science Foundation effort, and they gave us a big grant in the Department of Mathematics, and uh, that grant is funding a lot of uh, of the effort that we do around the island in the state of Hawaii. Okay, so that's right after next week's show at the Mm -hmm. UH campus, free and open to the public, December 10th, uh, and we'll have the link on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org later this evening. (laughs) Monique, thank you very much for returning and telling us about this great event. Thank you so much. And of course, uh, we want to welcome Keith DeMello from the Office Office of Information Management and Technology to tell us about the upcoming 
what is it, the Hawaii Digital, Digital Government Summit. Summit. There and, you go. And uh, Keith, this is a summit that's been going on for like the last three consecutive years, but you tell me that this has been going on for like more like seven or eight years, right? This is actually our seventh uh, for Hawaii, our seventh Hawaii Digital Government Summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the third consecutive. And it's it's really a unique opportunity for any government employee, state, county, federal, uh, to come and talk with experts, network with people who are implementing technology transformation mm-hmm. uh, within the state and elsewhere. Uh, we have uh, speakers that are presenting uh, one from Maui. Um, we're going to be looking at a lot of what the the, the state is doing uh, on uh, in areas ranging from the the private government cloud uh, to uh, cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Now it all takes place on December sixteenth. It's all day. It's free and open to government employees. Again, uh, county, state, federal. Um, there are three sessions in the afternoon from 3 to 4 that are going to be open to the public. And, Bert, I understand you're, you might be participating in one of those. What a, a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, uh, I, you know, I've done, uh, I've had the honor to be a part of this for the last couple of years, uh, doing some open data kind of brainstorming. And, and uh, this, this time around, we're going to be doing a little panel uh, and talk about some of the open data activities that are going well, on. Well, we're lucky to have you. I know you're a, a, a very... Uh, important champion of some of recent open data legislation that passed in recent years. And we're really looking forward uh, from the state's perspective to um, transition from planning to implementation of our IT transformation plan. Mm -hmm. It's a 12-year plan that was launched back in October 2012, I believe. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're looking to transition to actual implementation. There's going to be an acceleration of of some of the programs that are going to manifest and uh, uh, greater efficiency for state employees, uh, improve services, online services for the public, and frankly, just benefits to the state's bottom line. Right, and not uh, coincidentally, our main segment of our show after the break, in just a few minutes, we will talk in depth about the transformation plan, how it's going, and some of the challenges that uh, they're facing. Now, of course, this is an event targeted at government employees, state, county, uh, different levels, but you mentioned there were three events that uh, regular people can attend, and, it, and and I thought I would be pretty interested myself. Can you kind of uh, outline some of those? Sure. Uh, the, they're, we're calling them are fast track sessions. They're going to be uh, in the afternoon, three to four. The first is titled Leveraging Leveraging Existing Resources for Future Successes, um, Open Data. As I mentioned before, Bert, you're going to be a part of that. And then the last one is going to be Everyone is a Change Agent. Um, this takes all of us. As Governor Ige mentioned in his, in his inaugural address, uh, a lot of this work is hard work. It takes It's a lot of heavy lifting, and it does take everybody from uh, leaders who are shaping policy on IT transformation. Uh, Of course, they need to be at the table. We need to have state employees uh, who are open and willing to possibly relook at the processes that are in place. And, you know, a lot of these systems that we're operating on uh, from payroll to a range of services that the, the state is providing, they're operating systems that are so, that are in some cases Antiquated. several decades old. <laughs> some, uh, some infamously, for sure. So, uh, and a, a recent example of some tangible progress that our state has made is um, is in the area of the the government private cloud, mm-hmm. uh, where we the state actually ha- right now has a cloud first 
policy, which means that uh, any new applications coming out of the departments, anything being launched, it goes to our private cloud, the government private cloud. Um, and even some of our existing applications where it's feasible, we want them to shift it over. That's using an actual resource that is core to uh, overall cost savings by consolidating and using shared services rather than uh, individual departments and attached agencies uh, standing up their own servers or right mm-hmm. and, and duplicating things for sure. Exactly. Now, Keith, uh, can you speak also for the Digital Government Summit? Can you speak a little bit to the? I think you have a pair of keynote speakers uh, who are going to be presenting, and and I thought they were pretty interesting. Yeah. So kicking off the uh, event, we're going to have Anthony Huey. He's owner of Reputation Management Associates. He's going to share with attendees. Uh, some of the, the tips and uh, best practices in communications from everything from casual conversations to formal presentations. Communications can make it break uh, any initiative when you're, when you're launching or briefing or training uh, various constituents. Uh, in the, uh, well, at lunchtime after a whole morning of sessions, um, we're gonna actually have a, a little bit of a treat for attendees. Uh, we're gonna bring in a gentleman named uh, Don McMillan and he's uh, he's an engineer, but he's also a comedian. He's one of those a guys. Funny that engineer. Had, yeah. Oh, what a, <laughs> a combination! What a rare animal that. Well, uh, one of those guys that has that brain. That mm-hmm. he he really sees the funny side. If you haven't seen him before YouTube or whatnot, he's hilarious. He's um, he's been in, involved in IT and implementing sort uh, IT uh, systems for many years. But you know, he 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 does see the the funny side of it. But on the practical end, he's going to get attendees to ask whether they're doing things because that's why they've always done it or that's the way they've always done it or whether it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that's at the core of our entire uh, IT transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to work uh, smarter, not necessarily harder. We want to work more efficiently. And uh, the reality is, is we're looking at a, a, a transition of our state's workforce Within the next ten years, you know. So you um, you were directly involved with perhaps putting the program together, uh, as I understand. And I think OIMT has always been kind of at the forefront of of making this summit happen. Um, so where again, where, when, and and uh, how can people sign up? The Hawaii, the Hawaii Digital Government Summit takes place uh, December sixteenth. Mm-hmm. All day begins at eight fifteen. And to sign up, uh, register today. Actually, there are only a few spots left. Go to oimt.hawaii.gov. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And, of course, we'll have that link in our show notes at Bite Mars Cafe. That's right. Thanks, Keith, for joining us. Thank you. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Keone Kali and Paola Sabini uh, to talk about OIMT's IT transformation plan. Where are we on that 12-year implementation plan, and what are some of the specific accomplishments that they can point to? And, of course, we know that you have questions. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, you can tweet us your questions. We're live here in the studio monitoring at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, I'm Joe Ferraro, and I'm with Ferraro Choi & Associates. We're architects, and we underwrite KHPR program. I can only tell you, over the 25 years or so, people have stopped me on the street and said, thank you. You support public radio. You believe in the things that we believe in, and that's why we're selecting you as an architect. Now there's recognition, and it's recognition in a good way because it's with 
Public Radio. Hawaii Public Radio, celebrating partnership, building community. In HBR's Atherton Studio on Saturday, December 6th, it's Standards and Other Delights with Rachel Gonzalez, one of Hawaii's top jazz vocalists and music pals and pros, Les Peets, Dean Taba, and Scott Schaefer. Their original arrangements of jazz standards, pop, folk, and more are sure to delight. Reserve your seats by calling 955-8821 during business hours or at hprtickets.org. That's Saturday, December 6th at 7.30. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ferraro Choi, and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozal. And joining us today is Keone Kali and Paola Sabini. And Keone is the State of Hawaii's new Chief Information Officer, and he's uh, taking the role previously held by Sunny Bagawalia. Paula, meanwhile, is the Chief Technology Officer and Deputy Director of the OIMT. And how has OIMT's uh, focus shifted from planning to implementation? And we'd love to hear your comments and questions. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Keone and Paola, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Now, uh, Keone, you, you know, the last time I was looking at my notes, uh, back in March of this year, we had Sonny Bagawalia come on. And, and I think we were, uh, we were actually going to have you on as well, but uh, you had something else come up and, and wouldn't, couldn't be able to handle, I mean, <laughs> couldn't be able to join <laughs> us that day. But uh, what we wanted to do was kind of, you know, that was sort of like the last time, um, Sunny was going to be on. We kind of wanted to get an update on what was uh, the latest things happening with OIMT. But since March, and we're now into um, December, you've taken the helm. And what have you kind of seen to be your biggest challenges, I guess, uh, taking the helm of OIMT? Well, yeah, it's been, I've been on board as a CIO since uh, it was February, I Mm -hmm. think in March, confirmed by the Senate. And over that last uh, six or seven months that we've been working really hard, we've seen the the plan that we originally developed in OIMT, the 12-year IT I, uh, information technology uh, transformation plan, um, develop in from its planning stages. We've done a lot of data collection, a lot of information collection, a lot of strategy. And now we are deep into the implementation, the installation, the configuration of mm-hmm. software and systems enterprise-wide that serve all departments and enterprise shared services. So we're focusing on uh, technical resources and other uh, you know, consulting and training staff to get to the point where um, we can deliver these systems in the next couple months. I mean, so in some of the some of the areas, and we have other areas we have to address that are critical, you know, long term. Uh, but we are deep into the uh, implementation phase at this point. Now, Paula, I, and I know Bert's worked with you on some projects with Way Open Data, and um, we've been able to interact with you now and then. Um, you are now the chief technology officer, but you've been working with the OIMT for some time. And I think it's safe to say, and we will get to that. Uh, the last, not just the last six months, but the last month, there's right. been a lot of change and a lot of things to to grapple with. So I was wondering if you could uh, bring us up to speed on on your role and what you're now diving into moving forward. Again, as the next phase of OIMT's work uh, gets underway. 
Sure. So I've come back to IMT to full-on execution, and I was quite impressed with how the wheels were in motion already. Um, And I have inherited, of course, a lot of uh, projects and tasks that our team has to deliver on. Uh, Not only do they have to carry on operations as usual, but they also have to make sure that we deliver on what has been promised. And it's quite exciting. There's a lot of things going on at the same time, but we're making sure that we are fulfilling on the expectations. Now, you know, Paolo, uh, I know when we first had you on the show, you were part of the uh, library system, but I know there was a good, a good period of time when you were part of OIMT working on more of a, a project management uh, capacity, Correct. working on the uh, ERP project. What was what was that sort of like at that period? That was, that was probably better more than a, two years ago, right? That's right. That was an exciting time because it was uh, during the design time, the feasibility planning, the business case, building all of that data so that today we can actually start executing on those pieces. Now, what is uh, tell me, what does ERP stand for? That's Enterprise Resource, Resource Planning, planning mm-hmm. right? And how does that impact all the systems across the state uh, it, uh, departments? Absolutely. It, it impacts them in the finance, in the human resource. It, it's all about, you know, the, the records that, that deal with the money of the state as well as the um, the human records that the, you know, the, the payroll activities, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Um, recruitment, etc. So it has a wide range of modules. A normal or standard ERP um, software has uh, asset management included as well. And we are trying to do our best to make sure that we approach this in the right manner for the state with the constraints that we have and with the limitations in place. Um, we're talking to Keone Kali and Paolo Sabine. They are both with the Office of Information Management and Technology, the new Chief Technology Officer and the Chief uh, Information Officer in Keone. If you have a question for this team, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're also was- listening or watching on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Keone, one of the th- as a layperson, one of the things that I always thought was interesting about the long buildup to develop this uh, 12-year plan is that, of course, in government, you know, uh, administrations change perhaps every four years or every eight years. And one of the things I I always wanted to know was how do you implement a 12-year plan that survives the the way that government sometimes changes on its own? How do you put something in place uh, that can be followed or is still useful even though, you know, whoever who is governor, for example, might change? Well, the important thing is to ensure the continuity of the projects and a lot of that is done by, you know, involving all the staff at the various levels, the civil service teams and um, union folks that are in all the departments so that they can t- pick up the project, consider it their own, carry it forward. And, you know, despite any change in administration, that there's continuity. And one thing that we really focus on is continuity. Now, one of the things that's uh, distinct about the OIMT is that, you know, every state department division has its own technology office or someone who's in charge of their email system, their servers, their workstations. So what the OIMT has to do is basically interface with them and make sure that uh, everybody's marching essentially in the same direction, even though some IT people might be more, I would say, possessive of their systems than others. Um, Now that we're further along and, as you say, um, rubber meeting the road and having to implement this large document, um, how has that uh, interaction gone? How has that interfacing with the department's been going? Uh, that communication is something that's very steady that we have we have had in place for a number of years. We deal with all of the um, technology uh, people in the departments on various initiatives and pilot projects that then go operational. I think that uh, it's r- really, really important that um, you know folks understand that it's a process. 
So we define the process, and then we follow the process, and we execute on these things. That's how what gets people's buy-in. The state's IT has traditionally been decentralized for over 25 years. And what we do is use governance, um, a lot of meet, uh, meetings and committees and, and uh formal processes to get engagement by users, get buy-in, um, and then develop those processes and then implement those processes. So, so Keone, I understand that uh, you know pretty much the big projects are, are under your sort of jurisdiction. I mean, you got a big project with the uh, tax modernization uh, project as well as ERP and uh, what Paola was, was talking about in terms of project management of that. But now when it comes to implementation of that, I can imagine some of the challenges given the fact that it has sort of this widespread impact across many departments, but then, but then you, you now have to introduce new technology but also deal with sort of a cultural change that might occur with this new technology. How does, how does OIMT sort of mitigate that, that transformation? I think the, uh, the cultural transformation is really a kind of a philosophical issue. Is the culture really transform the landscape or is the landscape transforming the culture, right? right? It's kind of like a... a, a egg, you know, a chicken and egg kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, developing a culture that is based standards, based on like best standards, based on best practices, uh, that has a um, standard of excellence, if you will, in terms of customer service or service-oriented architecture has been really uh, important. On the ERP projects, we have accounting systems and things like that. It's almost like renovating your house. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to re- replace the kitchen, you got to, at some point, demo out the kitchen, right. and then put the new kitchen in, and we have a lot of that. But you can't, you know, it's more difficult because you can't just take one system down; it's fully operational. I mean, they can't take the accounting system down to put the new accounting system in. You have to bring them up in parallel. You have to measure and make sure they're going to work. Uh, that you have, you know, backups and recovery, and that you know the resiliency and the reliability is there. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul, I was wondering uh, more, like in private sector, when you're talking about uh, chief technology officer and maybe transforming systems, you're like, okay, well, are we going to move from Lotus Notes to Microsoft? Are we going to move from X and Y? At the in the state government, because it's been so decentralized, you're talking about uh, a, a classic. I would say that's a nice way of putting it. VAC system in, say, the Department of Education right. to a Lotus Notes system over here to a Microsoft system, to another department that loves open source. So they've got Linux and they've got, you know, open office running. Um, I was wondering if you could share some specific examples of the kinds of integrations you're seeing or that you see as perhaps like the, the tallest mountains you have to scale to be the chief technology officer of a state government. Sure. Um the challenges are enormous, of course, especially because we are in the season of transformation. So you will have challenges in training alone. You have very, very seasoned individuals, IT professionals across the state that have specialized in three or four technology types, standards. And now the modernization and consolidation perhaps leads us in another direction. So it's not just modernizing and and galvanizing all the efforts to move us to what is a modern and best standard practice, et cetera. It's also uh, making sure that they are part of the process very willingly, that they see benefit for themselves and their own departments. It's a multifaceted effort by far. Um, but we're up to the challenge. You know, that's also very exciting. We get to see collaboration from areas that perhaps were not as expected in some cases. And people really rally to the right cause and Everybody understands that the economies of scale and the cost efficiencies are very important, that our security, our cybersecurity is, uh, you know, at the top of the, of the scale in terms of, of importance as well. So, it's Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought that um, uh, when, you know, the digital summit was going on for the last couple of years, that part of it was really helping to get em- government employees to start 
being a part of the transformation. And that started happening, you know, at least a couple of years ago in terms of consecutive uh, summits. And do you, have you seen that really take place in terms of the, the cultural shift and the adoption within the sort of the uh, employee community that, you know, they see the need to embrace some of this new technology you going know, forward? I think that I, I do very much so, and it also helps a lot when we explain it properly. Um, I think that everybody understands the what and the how, but we don't always emphasize the why. And that why is vital to the IT back end, you know, not in the front of the customer-facing uh, areas. They need to know what their role is. And I always fall back on the noble purpose of IT. We can change so much for individuals and we never get to meet but our efforts are invaluable and it's reminding folks that have been giving their lives to the state for 15 20 30 years in IT that their role their wisdom learned throughout the decades is absolutely necessary so i think they get it when it's explained properly mm-hmm. now Keone, could you share uh, maybe an example or a case uh, not naming names or anything but when i think of people who've been in IT for 25 years wonderful people dedicated people but they could also say to themselves well you can have my uh, exchange server when you pry it out of my cold dead hands you know this is the system I know, and I, it works well. Why change it necessarily? And, and Paul is making a good case for how it, it overall it's a, it's a it's a good goal. But um, I, I'm really curious about uh, examples that you might have where you might have started with some of that resistance, like feeling that they're going to be made obsolete by the transformation, but in, instead turning them into part of the process that moves everybody forward. Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> part of redescribing. Um, you know, positions and roles, professionalizing, you know, what otherwise would be data entry or lower level, um, you know, system positions into more administrative, more more capacity, more, you know, exposure to different mm. things outside of one thing that people have been doing for, for 30 years. Um, we have a lot of folks that are, I mean, we have a tremendously dedicated workforce. And some of the applications and things that run today are a result of the fact that these folks have stayed on and, and run this one application for 35, 45 years. And in a lot of cases, it's COBOL, it's mainframe, COBOL, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. But um, so it's kind of like someone's life's work. And what do you do with that? You have to respect it, understand it, and then bring them to understand the benefits and the value of whatever the new latest technology is and the processes that are maybe more efficient. Um, but it doesn't take away from their um, their work or their value. It, it's just a different way to approach the problem. Mm-hmm. And they get, you know, invariably they gain additional expertise, um, you know, potentially higher paid positions. I mean, there there's incentive there for people to take on um, the new challenge. You know, we're talking to uh, Keone Kali from uh, OIMT. He's the uh, chief information officer for the state of Hawaii, as well as Paola Sabini, who is the chief technology officer, also with OIMT. And we're talking about the state's IT transformation plan. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to give us a call. Number here is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Keone, you know, the um, uh, uh, Governor Ige has talked about uh, tax modernization and tax being a, a source of potential revenue that may be uh, not realized because of some of the antiquated systems that we currently have. And, you know, for the most part, I think people can can still submit their tax returns uh, in paper form. And, you know, there's a lot of process that needs to go uh, in terms of uh, collection. And, and if there's a, a modernized uh, inf- IT infrastructure that allows 
more easily submittal of tax returns that might result in in higher revenues. Where where are we are we with the uh, tax modernization plan? Well, you know, the tax project, like to, to modernize the system, really runs within the tax department itself, and mm-hmm. we tend to you know facilitate that and help them to get the system procured or implemented or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know. Taxes is a huge revenue uh, system for the state, and you know we look at it from the IT perspective as a revenue system, not necessarily you know a tax specialized tax system. Mm-hmm. It's a revenue system, just like professional vocational licenses or permits or camping or anything else. They all bring revenue into the state. So our goal is to how do we make that process more efficient? How do we digitize stuff off of you know paper? You know, scan things in so it can happen quicker, more seamlessly, more easily for the cons- for the taxpayer. Um, on, and the public on, our, on the back end, we make sure that it's you know the information is going to the right bank accounts and the expenditures and refunds are going out in the other section, you know, which is a different department. So there's a whole ecosystem of how you know this system, this revenue system, affects other things in the state, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's how we kind of approach it from a, a common denominator kind of sort of approach to. Right. So obviously it's a lot more complicated than just uh, buying something off the shelf or having a vendor come in and install a tax uh, tax system. Yeah, it, I mean it it can be complex, but you know the complexities of that system in particular are not beyond, you know, anyone's understanding. It's just everything can be documented. Every system and process is basically identified mm-hmm. and it's just matching up, you know, whatever that software package is, it's out there that can meet the needs mm. of the of the business requirements that are need to be fulfilled. So So, you know, Paula from the technology side, um that I think Yoni put it right and Bert phrased it well too. I mean, is this basically an RFP that says we want to fix our tax system? Tell us how to do it and just put that out there and wait for an enormous bid to come back? Are you custom building things at every level and plugging them in? I mean, how would you characterize from the implementation point what it would basically mean to do the tax transformation? I think as a general practice, I'm not addressing this one in particular, it serves us better when we do a lot of homework ahead of time. So when we're able to understand exactly what is out there, what is considered the best standard, what has had a several um, measures of success, if you will, in other states, and then do as much of the requirements gathering, all of that ahead of time, so that by the time we hit the bid process, mm. um, there is less um, opportunity for you know having to go back and forth several times. It's clearer, cleaner. The expectations are well set. Um, so that that is, uh, in general, what we would opt to do. Right, because you don't want to change processes and procedures to fit a software solution, for example. You want that software solution to work the way that works best for the state. And that's another general practice we're trying to adopt, which is to avoid um, code um, modifications, uh, stay within the configuration realm, uh, try to uh, see if we can do business process reengineering and accommodate to the software if it's a good software. Is it? Um, do you feel that uh, being accommodating, are we allowing ourselves to stay on track or is that pushing sort of the deadline out further and further? And well, for- yeah, I can jump in on that one. I don't, uh, you know, capturing requirements before is always just a good practice, you know. Um, and then you can see what you get when, in terms of how apples to apples and you know apples to oranges match up in terms of you know functional specifications and a software implementation. But I think what's key is, as we found with a lot of these processes, you know, not only the technology uh, does the technology experience obsolescence, but the processes are, can be obsolete mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. So many of the processes in the state that we ha- that we do on a daily basis are somewhat obsolete. Mm-hmm. There are have people have figured out other states, other agencies figured out ways to do things more efficiently, better, um, you know, with a better result um, and a higher, you know, quality sort of deliverable. And I think it's important to recognize that 
there's an opportunity to change some of the processes we right. have. Right. You don't want to mm-hmm. replicate yeah. the paper system but with different computers and forms and PDF because that doesn't necessarily make things run right. any better. Right. So, so there is sort of a balance between you know, identifying the processes that need to be changed and implementing a new system. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- lots to consider. We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Keone Kali and Paolo Sabini about OIMT and the state's IT transformation. What have been some of the challenges in implementing the plan? And of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Alan Briskin, co-author of The Power of Collective Wisdom and The Trap of Collective Folly. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about what binds us together. Sunday morning at 11. On December 13th, Ho'omana Namele, a collection of young Hawaiian musician composers, bring their talents to HPR's Atherton Studio. Ian O'Sullivan, Blaina Singh, and Duncan Kamakana Osorio first perform original music from each of their upcoming CDs, then come together for a unique collaboration. That's Saturday the 13th at 7.30 p.m. Reservations at hprtickets.org or by calling 955-8821 during business hours. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Keone Kali and Paolo Sabine about implementing the state's IT transformation plan. And, of course, how can the public realize the impact of IT transformation? You can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Keone, I just wanted to um, sort of uh, maybe put it to rest, put it to you know bed already. I mean, there was a little bit of a... Uh, discussion about sort of the shuffle going on in OIMT. And I I wanted to maybe give you a chance to talk a little bit about what you had uh, maybe evaluated in terms of people that were sort of let go and the new people that were hired and and how um, has this become perhaps more efficient in terms of the the manpower that's currently in OIMT? Yeah, well, thanks. Um, You know, it's an important thing. I mean, every time you're dealing with an organizational culture or a transformation project, sometimes you have to be nimble enough to make changes along the way as you get into different phases. And in our case, you know, we're entering the implementation phase. We had a lot of uh, project planning expertise, administration and things that, you know, going into um, this phase and resources, you know, for that. And it was uh, time at this point to change, you know, the look and feel of our resources to address the technical lead, technical implementation, software engineering, and, and those type of aspects. So, you know, it's essentially a reorganization plan and restructuring of, of our organization to f- match what we're doing next. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, you, if you start off with a lot of people, I guess, that were who are like auditors who need to get an assessment of what the current system is, um, those are not necessarily the people that then come in and, and actually work on the car or whatever, change the transmission to move things forward. Is, is that what essentially Yeah, that and means? one of the things that comes with OIMT is that, I mean, it's <clears> able <throat> to be nimble. The, the positions that we have in all of OIMT are um, exempt at will, non-union positions. Mm-hmm. So we have flexibility to make changes, to alter, you know, position descriptions and things and make um, whatever alterations we have to do to be successful. And this was an opportunity to, um, you know, act on the restructuring and the reorganization for what we need next. And we wanted to do it uh, and give folks as much time as we could 
You know, one of the things that we didn't get to mention earlier when Keith uh, DeMello was on was that uh, the position that he currently fills in OIMT was a position that was vacated probably a better part of a year almost. Right, that's accurate. Right, so he is now like the new communications uh, director at the OIMT, and I think uh, I think he's only been on the job for like maybe about a month, right? Uh, yeah, I think October first. Yeah, and I, I don't think we. Get, and we I would say communications is probably an important a thing yeah. for yeah. an organization. Now, Paula talking about flexibility, yes. being flexible. Yes. This also occurs to me when you're talking about a twelve-year plan, a, a hundreds of pages. This this document, this business and IT uh, IRM transformation plan for the state. Um, even in the publishing business, especially when you're talking about trend uh, technology, by the time you hit publish, the technology you're writing about has changed. Yes. You know, so how does that document, although you're referencing it, you're using it as your roadmap going forward, I mean, it can't be stuck in one place. It has to evolve. Is that still, you know, is that part of the process at OIMT as well? So the projects, the goals, the objectives, initiatives, those don't necessarily change, although they may morph a little bit as the years go by. Um, But the technology standards have to be kept as the world evolves. That also is something we must align to. Um, We need to be flexible in terms of the choices within that. So the selections made tend to be those that are, you know, seasoned, products or or a direction that has been tested. We don't need to be on the bleeding edge in most cases. Uh, We don't need to be behind and purchasing things that are going to become obsolete in a couple of years. So it's a fine balance and it's not necessarily an easy one precisely because of what you're saying. There's so much to transform, so Mm -hmm. much to execute on and everybody's going to be looking at this, making sure that we're making wise choices with taxpayers' money. Now one of the projects that I was uh, kind of not necessarily directly involved in, but was paying attention to was the uh, the dashboard project, and I'm kind of curious about what what whatever kind of came about with yeah. uh, with the dashboard. Yeah, so the um, the dashboard that was really kind of driven by uh, the former administration's office in terms of, it was really part uh, paired with transparency, mm-hmm. and so we had a lot of we have open data, we have a transparency initiatives, we get graded on transparency every year. Um, and we've been able to put these things into a visible format that is easy to read and understand and digest what information is out there. And it's measurement, essentially, for the public on how their government is performing. Right, right. So so the dashboard was, in, in effect, uh, kind of the report card uh, for the government. But it was never really released, or was it released? It was It was released. And so uh, we can go to dashboard.hawaii.gov, and that's the, is that the current, I guess, state of it? I think it was off of open open uh, one of the open data sites data.hawaii.gov links to it and Mm -hmm. then the uh, the governor's website had a sub-site that was there but that's changed so the dashboard is still there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's up and running right now for uh, the new administration yet. Okay. Because okay. we have to assi- we have to put new measurements on for different initiatives and different programs that mm-hmm. are going to be funded. So um, we're kind of in the transition process. Mm-hmm. Now another another initiative that I'm I'm curious about and that we've had a lot of uh, people ask us about it is uh, sort of broadband. And I know OIMT has been pretty much at the at the forefront of any broadband uh, policy and, and discussions? Maybe, um, Keone, can you give us an update on that? 
Yeah, so broadband is, you know, a chiefly, hugely important mm-hmm. thing in Hawaii. And, I, you know, what things that the listeners need to understand is that, you know, there are very few fiber optic cables that land in Hawaii. And the last one was installed here in year 2000. And by 2025, most of that infrastructure is obsolete or, you know, end, end of life or at capacity. So uh, Hawaiian Tel, you know, is landing a cable here. Um, shortly, and that is a huge thing because that guarantees we're going to have bandwidth, we're going to have internet as we scale. Um, broadband capacity on island or usage of bandwidth increases at a rate of about 5% a month going on you know, for internet traffic. Mm-hmm. And at that exponential rate, we will definitely um, you know, out, you, outlive our current capacity. So we need additional fiber. We also need uh, dedicated connections that can't be impacted by storms and tsunamis and surge and other types of things like what happened before when we had the fiber cut on the, on the um, H1 uh, by the oh, right, 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 right. right? Or things like that. You know, Kauai will go down for a couple days. Mm-hmm. So we've been working to put critical infrastructure in place, um, inter-island, on-island. Uh, the providers are doing a, a really great job of getting fiber to the homes and Wi-Fi in neighborhoods and you name it, they are, they're working on it and making it affordable. So the goal was always um, to have, you know, the aspirational goal was a gigabit uh, fiber capability, you know, to the home, and that require, you know, requires fi- laying fiber, and the industry is showing up and doing a great job. Right. I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of private sector interaction because it's not the state government that's laying fiber; it's the Oceanics, it's the Hawaiian Telecoms, and you're working with them. I know uh, we we just and the I would say the top tech story for the week will probably be the acquisition of Hawaiian Electric by uh, the Florida company. But even they've said that we are in favor, or we are looking to move forward. For example, with the undersea uh, power cable for redundant power. Mm-hmm. Um, Paula uh, Keone did mention you know things about being ready for emergencies. And certainly when a storm comes through, we think about these things. And I know that one of the stories that often gets told about uh, our infrastructure is that there's maybe maybe there's only one copy or only one data center, or maybe it's in a flood zone. Um, What progress uh, on the implementation side uh, can you uh, either report on or share for the near future in terms of making our systems more resilient or redundant um, because of being ready for uh, disasters? Thank you. Resiliency and redundancy definitely are at the top of the list. So we are working, for instance, in our government private cloud, uh, we're working with ensuring that we have disaster recovery full capabilities at DR Fortress. Of course, we have a long-range plan for the new data center. Uh, we also have initiatives with working uh, on Maui with MRTC and making sure that we have backups there as well for the development and test environments. And that's something that is continuing to grow every month. Um, we are definitely moving along on schedule on that. So we are, we're, I wish we had more funds that time and more manpower to make sure that we could dedicate more on that. But we have to spread things out as much as we can to make sure that all of these initiatives happen at the same time that we are fulfilling expectations. Now, um, Paola, I know Sonny had uh, been given sort of a task of looking at cybersecurity uh, in his in his sort of uh, new role. Um, and I know that might have uh, transitioned over to you. Uh, what are some of the key things in terms of cybersecurity that you're trying to, to implement? I know you just said that you, there's always the need for more funding, but are there priorities upon which you want to get things more, let's say, hardened and resilient uh, with whatever resources you currently have? 
So the security operations center that we have right now actually is is growing. It's uh, very stable. We're quite proud of what we have accomplished so far. We would like to make sure that we have even more visibility and uh, ability to scan and help the departments. And that's the next layer that we're working quite aggressively to. to it, we're pursuing the cooperation of the departments. We're trying to procure uh, tools that will help them along. A lot of awareness is going on, training, et cetera, mm-hmm. so that we can meet uh, how Halfway, if you will, in terms mm-hmm. of the awareness, and then help them along as much as possible, giving them the tools and the capabilities that are needed. We're also cooperating quite a bit with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, they're providing tools, training, scanning capabilities as well. Uh, we are collaborating also with other agencies in the state and at the federal space. So we're moving along quite a bit. I don't know if, if you want to add anything Yeah, just, um, you know, being compliant with, like, the cybersecurity frameworks that have been published, you know, by NIST and other things is, is something we've done. We've, you know, documented where, where we're at in terms of being compliant with those things, and we're moving on, on the programmatically on ensuring that we are, you know, safe, secure, and that our information is protected. And, you know, cybersecurity, as you know, is one of probably the most growing uh, trends in Hawaiian verticals, you know, for jobs and for, um, you know, training of personnel. And it will be in the next 10 years. I mean, it's going to be all about cybersecurity. Oh, absolutely. We talk about the Cyber Patriot program, training at the college level, even the high school level to defend your systems. We certainly want don't want North Korea coming in our systems and releasing our unreleased movies um, <laughs> on the Internet. So we have to be prepared for that. Uh, Keone, Paola mentioned, you know, it would be nice to have more funding. And when you talk about technology, the First thing a lot of people think is that's expensive. You know, technology is expensive. Changing out systems is expensive. Now, OMT kind of had a genesis and a lot of support uh, through the White Community Foundation and um, your position and getting the plan put together. But obviously, when you come to the implementation part, at some point, equipment has to be purchased. You know, contracts need to be signed. Um, where are where is OMT and the transformation plan on that front? Is it a matter of legislative support, finding funding in that way? Is it grants? I mean, um, how can you make it happen when money is on the on the table? Well, we sp- we spread the dollar pretty pretty wide. I mean, we <laughs> use the same dollar you know, to get a lot done, and you know, the most bang for the buck. And um, we have a very small budget in terms of OMT as a, you know as a centralized entity for governing it. We we also manage you know ICSD as a, a division of DAGs that is the central IT sort of operations group, and so between the two of us. Um, you know, we have a very limited sort of maintenance and operations budget. So we have taken to, you know, beat the bushes. We're going after grants. We're going after working with other departments in their federal budgets um, to implement technologies that can spread across multiple departments. It's like a common denominator type of service. Um, so centralizing systems, centralizing procurement, that pro- the spending activity in IT in the state, not including University of Hawaii or DOE, which are huge organizations, uh, just the executive branch is on the order of like 1% of the state's budget at this point in time. Now, OMT controls, in terms of state budget-wide, one-tenth of 1% of the state's budget. Mm-hmm. So we have a very small footprint in terms of that budget. We've been through one uh, budget cycle and then followed by a biennium. So we've had three years under our belt. And, uh, you know, it's next year. It was just We put in our budget with everyone else in the executive branch and see what comes out. Do, you, do we know in Hawaii, for Hawaii state government, what percent of budget is IT? I mean, that covers so many things, system software, equipment, things like that. But, you know, are we at parity? Are we spending, we need to outspend other states to catch up with them? I mean, what does that look like uh, among our peers? Well, certainly if you, no, we spend less than than anyone <laughs> on any other state on, on, on IT stuff. So mm. um, if you had 3% of the state's budget, I mean, it, it could be night and day, you know, but that would be a lot of replacement of infrastructure and equipment and things that need to get done. Um, it would leapfrog us ahead. 
you know, but that has to be prioritized. I mean, there are a lot of things at stake and a lot of public facing services and, you know, it's always a challenge in IT. We always work with dwindling budgets and dwindling resources and try to get the job done and do it better every single time we do it. So, so if you were uh, tasked to go in front of the legislature and, and sort of present your report card, uh, how would you go about, let's say, showcasing what it is that you've achieved over the, the last, uh, let's say, year? I think we'd talk about the uh, successes we've had, both in programmatic, whether it's our internship program um, that we've started, you know, to sort of build capacity out there, uh, you know, our security operations center, our in- critical infrastructure upgrades that have increased the network bandwidth, you know, to 10 times what it was before. I mean, going to cloud-based services, enterprise license agreements that are saving the state money, 40 to 60 percent on average, um, by doing bulk, you know, purchases of licenses mm-hmm, and centralizing mm-hmm, procurement. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd we talk about you know security and what needs to happen next in terms of buying down risk in that perspective. Um, show some of the you know accomplishments and plans and policies that are in place and what and really get to the nitty gritty of uh, what does it cost to sustain this? Where where is that funding going to come from internally, externally, uh, general funds, you know bond funds, whatever it makes sense, you know, and then have that discussion with you know budget and finance and the legislature, and so that they can understand it, digest it, and you know make a really informed decision. Now, Paolo, for your front on the uh, as chief technology officer, I mean, not just making that case, but what's uh, what's that next milestone for you? There is a qualitative measure here as well. So everything Keone has stated is spot on. Uh, We're also seeing the collaboration happening with the departments and with YMT. So leveraging resources, expertise, something that we need so badly because, of course, we have staffing issues. We don't have enough staff for all of the projects and programs and. Uh, that we must deploy. So I would say that is a large measure, uh, not necessarily exhibited in monetary uh, sense, but definitely something that will take us, will get us a, a far, we will go a long way with this because we are into the 10-year plan by now, nine years approximately. Mm-hmm. And we will need one another and uh, building trust and building confidence and sharing the challenges with various departments, the IT CIOs or, or IT leads that are willing to transform the state with us. Now, aside from the uh, digital summit that's coming up, uh, Keone, Paola, I mean, how can we as the public sort of keep an eye on uh, the things that are let's say, happening with the IT transformation and, and how we in general might benefit from all this? Well, first thing, we have, uh, we're have we publishing a sort of an e-newsletter on the website. If you go to oimt.hawaii.gov, mm-hmm. uh, you can subscribe to it. And that's sort of the all the current events of what's happening with the projects or the, or the pilots or you know things that are going on in the industry that we are tracking or focusing on. Uh, and it'll give everybody a really good report card status update on a monthly basis of, of what's happening in OIMT and what, what we're looking at. Um, we also have other things on there, strategic plans. I mean, we have, uh, you know, things that have been kind of um, broken down into smaller pieces so that we can execute better on, on, on some of the, the bigger plans that we started, you know, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really getting into the details. Of uh, that's uh, all online at oimt.hawaii.gov. That's correct. Of course, Keone uh, Kali is the state chief information officer, and Paola Sabini is the chief technology officer, both at the Office of Information Management and Technology. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much. For thank you very us much, here. and Aloha. thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we're going to do our annual holiday gadget shopping show. Ooh. And of course, if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. 
And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Abby Buffalo and a song called So What? See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Show.